And it, it all becomes very real, right? You hear all these kids in the locker room talking about what they have, and they their beautiful lifestyles. And I would just sit there quiet. You know, half of them didn't even know where I came from. I would mm -hmm. never bring them back to my neighborhood. And, uh, you know, and then you see it, and it's real. And you're like, holy smokes, this guy really has a pool in his backyard? Like, what? You know, and uh, cleaners, and he's got a video game machine in the basement, and PlayStation, and his dad Laptop. lets him do whatever he wants until five in the, like, what's going on here, you know? Mm. And, but what I realized was that I could have that too, but that I was gonna have to work my tail off to get that. Like, I was gonna have to push harder than any of those guys would ever have to push to get there, but I would, I would figure it out. Dude, we all have the best time ever to start a small business. If I'm not gonna be 100% in, I'm not gonna do it. Come on, man, just be yourself. Yeah, and, like, and just show up as yourself. If you don't realize what I'm really about, I'm about freedom, family, and my country. Sean, my dude. My brother. Cheers. Salute. Thank you for taking the ride from Philly, man. Absolutely, man. I, uh, you and I connected and got to meet face-to-face -face probably about, what, three months ago? Yeah, probably about three months ago, yeah. We did some dinner with uh, Jamie over at the block. Jamie G. It was entertaining. The legend. It was a randomly, random, like, Motley crew that was there. It was, yeah. It was like uh, <laughs> Tobias. Yeah. Two guys, I think they're from Georgia. I don't think I talked to them all night. There was a cop They were good dudes, though. Yeah. yeah. Oh, the cop great guy dude. was great. Yeah. yeah. I don't, I don't I didn't know if he was like Jamie's security, but he was like, the whole night I kept telling him like, I don't got my side piece on, so you guys protected. <laughs> and he was loving it, bro. He was a great dude. He was he was cool. And he and he was like dead serious. He's like, no, I got everybody, dude. It's good. He was, yeah, locked, no, he was he locked in, dude. He was dialed. And then I kept calling you Ari Gold. I'm like, this dude's suited and booted, bro. Where is he going? <laughs> It was awesome. It's great. But we got, you know, I had paid attention a little bit through Jamie to what you were doing for him with his billboards and advertisements. Um, and then we got to talk briefly before I had too many margaritas that night. And I was like, this dude's a great dude. And I'd love him have him out, have him out to Fireside and talk about his story because yeah. it's an awesome one. You have a ton of nuggets to provide. You're a good dude that's come from very little. You worked very, very hard you know, on the balls of your feet, of your mm -hmm. ass, I should say, True. Uh, a few times, and now you have really taken yourself and your family to another level, and uh, that's what Fireside is all about. So your viewers who may watch this, yeah, I was a kid who was kicked out of high school. My parents worked very hard. I take nothing from them. They taught me work ethic, but they didn't have much. Right. And after I was kicked out of high school, you don't have many opportunities. And as I was coming up, not many people wanted to really help me. Again, I was probably a little chippy. Also, they were making their money. They didn't think they needed me. And I said, once I make a couple bucks, I'm gonna turn back around and start helping some people up the ladder. That's what Fireside's all about. Mm -hmm. Your story embodies everything that I lived, plus some. So uh, I'm glad you're here today and thank you. No, my pleasure, man. I, I definitely felt that at, at that dinner that night. I, I think uh, of anybody I connected with at that table, it was you for sure. Totally. And I think Jamie probably knew that was going to happen. Yeah, uh, he's very strategic. He is strategic at who he invites to his different, yep. uh, his different dinners and events. And uh, you know, anybody obviously that's a friend of his is a friend of mine. But you know, we we definitely clicked, and I think a lot of that has to do with uh, our backgrounds, with our similar backgrounds. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. No, no, no doubt. So Philly kid, literally in the projects. <laughs> yeah. From what, right from birth, right? Yeah, I mean, so when I was a kid, um, we we lived, uh, you know, obviously very modestly. Um, my parents, my parents were divorced at, when I was two, 
Um, and my father, you know, um, my, my father stayed in Philly. My mother moved out to Bucks County. And they're both, their, their goal in life, always my whole life, was just to make sure that, you know, um, I wanted for nothing even when we had nothing, right? It's just like I never felt like things were out of place because my parents always made sure that, that no matter where we were at in life, I had a really good understanding of what really mattered. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, my father stayed in Philly, and, and we lived in North Philadelphia um, near Temple University, really close to Temple. And uh, you know, it was a pretty rough neighborhood, uptown Philly. Um, and, uh, but, be, you know, when we first lived there, we ended up having to move to Kensington, which Kensington, if anybody doesn't know, is, uh, if you ever see the movie Rocky, where they shoot under the L, mm-hmm. that's where we lived, under the train, uh, Hurley and Allegheny. Uh, this is the Badlands. I mean, it was really, it was really bad. The things I saw as a kid there, I'll never forget. And I was young and I saw it. And uh, unfortunately, you know, my father was really down on his luck at that time financially. And so we were living with my uncle and my uncle was murdered. Um, so uh, he was a daily news driver and uh, he was murdered on the job. And uh, we ended up having to move out. So we moved back to Oak Lane, uh, where we originally started in North Philly. Rough neighborhood. We had the, the PJs right behind us, projects. Um, Fern Rock Station, and uh, but it was my neighborhood, you know, and I never mm-hmm. felt that. I didn't feel like it was a bad neighborhood growing up there, you mm-hmm. know. I mean, there was it's stuff. What you that, knew? Yeah, yeah. It's it, what you knew. It's what I knew. Yeah, mm-hmm. I didn't know anything else other than that, and um, you know, where my mom lived, same deal. It was so my father's neighborhood was more of like a predominantly African American neighborhood, and then my mom lived in a really tough white collar neighborhood. No, I shouldn't say white collar, blue collar neighborhood. White people, you yeah. know. And it was like, I always kind of had like both experiences as a kid. So I learned a lot about people Both sides. and how yeah. to deal with, you know, um, which was, was pretty Street interesting. Street smarts. Yeah, a lot, a lot. Yeah. On all levels. You and know? did you learn that both cultures are actually not that much different? That's, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I'm sure we'll get into why I do what I do on the foundation side, but that is absolutely, that was the number one takeaway is like, listen, I didn't even, sounds silly, and it's, but it's the truth. I didn't even know I was white until I was like 12 and some kid called me out in my neighborhood from a block away. I didn't know him, you know, and he asked me if I was lost and if I knew where the suburbs were, you know, uh, but I didn't even know what that had meant. You know, my boys are like, you're, Dude, you're white, you yeah. know, like, what is, you know, what is what it is, you know, but uh, yeah, I never saw color. And, and as I got older, I definitely realized being around the different, it's not about color. It's, it really is just about people and what's in here, like your yeah. soul, you know, and that's how I, I actually feel like I always say if there's one thing I'm good at, it's being a read on people and knowing and I swear that's where it comes from that's because I started smart. looking at that more than anything else. And listen, the cultures are slightly different in maybe what type of food you like to do or, and, you know, what type of music you're into or any of that BS. But Sports you play, it's, stuff it's like that. No, yeah. it's, it's really no different. Mm-hmm. And I hate that this society, especially this country now, the media seems to pin that shit in. And, and I don't like it at all because if you're a good person and you respect me, you respect my family yeah. and my close friends. Mm-hmm. We're good. We're good. We're good. You can come hang out at my house, drink Absol- suburbs of beer any absolutely. fucking day you want. Yep, absolutely. So, obviously growing up, not in the, not in the, the best environment, that could sometimes limit your thinking as to where you want to go in life and, and, and what you see as successful. What were you thinking at a young age, say around the age of 12? How do I go and, and do something more? You were very into hockey. So, yeah, so hockey was a big part of that, right? So fortunately, uh, my father and my mother had the wherewithal to say, 
let's put him in a sport. First of all, my father was a goalie, right? And uh, he played hockey. He was a he was a tough guy, man, like Ron Hextall type. You know, I used to fight guys all the time. I, I saw him do it. And uh, he put me in a hockey, you know, and then my mom was all for it. She'd spend the summers, you know, working from the hockey rink with my little sister, you know. But uh, going to the hockey rink was, like, such a great, like, eye-opener for me. And I, I literally just told this story yesterday. It's like... You know, I had the fortunate, like, upbringing where I actually get to leave my neighborhood every weekend. Mm. And my favorite days were Friday nights because Friday night I got to go to sleep and I knew that it's Saturday morning early. We would get up and we would escape the world, me and my father. And we would get in the car. You were going to play hockey wherever the game was. We would get in this Ford Bronco, you know, this old beat-up truck, and we would fly down Broad Street. And the further we got away from my neighborhood, the better. And I would get to that hockey rink and uh, I would get around those kids and I got to pretend for three hours a day like I wasn't from where I was from. You mm-hmm. know, and there's nothing wrong with being from where I'm from, but it gave me a different mindset. And I remember... There's nothing wrong with wanting more or nah, better. No, nah, I remember my first hockey party ever. My dad was, dad was dropping me off. It was a sleepover. We get into neighborhoods, big giant homes in Yardley, PA. So the town was Yardley, PA. Come full circle. You live close by. Yep, I ended up moving to Yardley, PA. I said to myself, I'm going to live here one day to my father. He said, I hope so, son. But he pulled me over right before we went to this kid's house. So what are you doing, Pop? He said, I want to tell you something. When you go into this kid's house, you're going to see things that you never saw before. This kid's going to have a swimming pool, probably gaming systems in the basement. He's going to get to do whatever he wants, big house. He goes, I don't want you to feel insecure. I don't want you to think that you're any less than, you know, because you don't have that. Because we go home to our little apartment in Oak Lane doesn't make you any different. Yeah, we have us. And he told me that, and thank God he said that, because when I got there, I did feel something, you know? But because he said that, I realized it was such great insight, you know? So reaching for the stars I wanna, and I want to jump in real quick. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <clears throat> it's so funny, and this is how I think the universe, the big guy upstairs, whatever it is, works in, in weird, mysterious ways. Today, I was driving down East Ave, and I have a young guy, Mike Danielli, I just hired to join the team. And sometimes after I have lunch, like, I want to take a lap, you know? Mm-hmm. I give for a little ride. I don't want to go right back to the office. I'm ADD. I like to move around. And it came to me that, dude, I used to, I had a little apartment over here by the train station in Bayhead. I had the condo right behind it. It was Point Beach. And I would hang out and drive my bike down East Ave. Yep. So for those of you who don't know where I am, I, I live practically in Bayhead. And Bayhead has a road called East Ave, which is... Uh, very wealthy community, mm-hmm. right on the beach, beautiful. And I'd ride down the road and I would feel intimidated or less than on my bike by myself. <laughs> I wasn't going in the houses. Yeah, I, I wasn't engaging with anybody, you know, quick highs, buys. Yeah, yeah. And that quickly turned to, I will own one of these houses one day if I want to. Yeah. And funny enough, I bought a house, you know, a couple blocks from that, yep. you know, years later. But yeah. th- you do have a mindset, man. Oh, you know, you grow up a certain type of way and then you see that type of wealth. It could, it could, you know, paralyze you. You manifest it. There's no yeah. doubt. I believe in that. So wholeheartedly. sorry to jump in, but no, it's funny. It's cool. I literally told that story today. Yeah. Yeah. You know, very similar to what you said. Oh, so that for me, like that's, that's what it was. And that's what like led me to say, okay, like there's more, right? Like there's this, it's, it's not just where I'm from, like everybody where I grew up, and it's not a knock on them, it is what it is. Like they're so proud to be from our neighborhood. And I was too, I still am. 
but it was like that was all there was you know it was like yeah. we lived they in, wanted to defend it to, man, to the man we cows lived in north on. philly and half my friends haven't even been to like lincoln financial field where the eagles play like mm. they wouldn't even go downtown it was like our mm. neighborhood or nothing and it was like do you still try to provide that for them nowadays get yeah. them out to a game yeah i do yeah definitely and i try to you know i try to connect with with the guys i grew up with and actually fortunately one of the guys i grew up with did get out and he's a big executive over at uh, MTV now, and he serves on the board of directors. As a matter of fact, he's, he's the head of our board of directors for the 43 Oak Foundation, so that came full circle too. Uh, my buddy awesome. Hinga Vanjo, he's uh, from, originally from Africa. Uh, but yeah, yeah, I mean, we, you know, look, I mean, my neighborhood was a, a mixed bag of nuts, man. I mean, we had everything from kids that went to jail for life for bad things to guys that went on to be major successes in life, and we all grew up with the same set of rules. Yeah, you know, same, none of us same had, playground. Yeah, none of us had anything more than anybody else. You know, uh, I think it was more of a mindset thing for some of us to say, "No, like this isn't it." You know, and I think some of us pushed each other to be better, and I think others allowed our success to to maybe not push themselves. And that's just people. Right? So I, I took you off track, but going back, walking into that household, yeah, you know, why did you feel that way? And then. What sparked in you to start thinking differently moving forward? Yeah, I mean, I definitely felt that way. Uh, and again, I'm grateful my father made me aware before going in, but it didn't mean that, it did, that I didn't still feel it. Um, I think I felt that way just because I'd never experienced that. And it's like there's just this enormous amount of wealth, and, you're, and it's so unfamiliar. Mm-hmm. And it, it all becomes very real, right? You hear all these kids in the locker room talking about what they have, and is it they're beautiful lifestyles and I would just sit there quiet you know half of them didn't even know where I came from I would mm-hmm. never bring them back to my neighborhood and uh you know and then you see it and it's real and you're like holy smokes this guy really has a pool in his backyard like what you know and uh cleaners and he's got a video game machine in the basement and playstation and his dad Laptop. lets him do whatever he wants until five in the like what's going on here you know mm-hmm. and but what I realized was that I could have that too but that I was gonna have to work my tail off to get that. Like I was gonna have to push harder than any of those guys would ever have to push to get there, but I would, I would figure it out. How know? old were you at the time? Uh, that, that was probably about 10. Yeah, 10 years about old. 10 years old. So you're traveling around, playing hockey. That's when travel hockey got big for me. Moving you along to, to around 12, 14 years old, you were looking to get ice time. You were looking to put a couple bucks in your pocket. Yeah. In addition to your mom and dad hustling to provide you, you yeah. know, food and, and, yep. a, and a roof over your head. Yeah. Yep. You were scrubbing toilets and, and <laughs> slinging Nikes out of the back of a truck, right? To talk <laughs> about that a little bit. Yeah, I mean, well, yeah, I wanted ice time. I was a rink rat. You know, all I wanted to do was skate. And inside that glass, life life disappeared for me. You know, I was get to be somebody else, so. I would crave it like a drug. I just wanted to be there. So I got a job offer to literally scrub the toilets. Um, and they offered me $2.50 an hour and, uh, and free ice time whenever I wanted. Uh, whenever there was open ice, I could jump out. So I'd bring my bag to work every day and I'd skate four hours a day. When I would close, I would close the rink, I'd invite my boys from the neighborhood from Northeast Philly to come skate. We'd do little three on threes at 11 o'clock at night. These were on school nights, you yeah. know? My mom knew I wasn't getting into trouble, so she was cool with it. You know, my father, same deal. You're playing sports. Yeah, you know, and I was innocent. But, uh, yeah, I would do anything to get ice time. So even take $2.50 an hour, you know. Uh, wasn't even enough gas money to get home. But, uh, and then, yeah, and then, but I did like money, and, and I, I wanted to make more of it. And I knew that if I was going to go anywhere in life, I was going to have to make money to do it. And so I, I saw an opportunity. There was a guy in my neighborhood that used to sell 
Nikes off the back of a truck, um, pretty normal in, in North Philly. And uh, he would sell them 30 bucks a pair, you know, to us on the street. And I would buy them in mass bulks. Actually, I got them down to like 25 once I started buying 20 pairs a week. And I would take them to the suburbs, you know, and I would sell them like in my mom's neighborhood. And I would get kids to buy them for 50, $60 a pop because at the store they were 90 at Foot Locker. Mm-hmm. And these were good. These weren't, you know, these were good Nikes. Yeah. And uh, so I would, I would be making 30 bucks a pair, you know, and I would sell 20 pairs a week. And for a 15 year old, it's a hell of a yeah. lot of money. Good amount of cash in your pocket. I had a lot of cash. So yeah, I was addicted to that. I was like, okay, I got something here. And then I realized I like to make money. And that became a whole new obsession for me. Yeah. You know? Most uh, successful people are obsessed. I'm obsessed. And yeah. people get that twisted and people don't understand you. And you know, why don't you just live? You're going to have a heart attack. You know, yeah. All, yeah. all the cliches that come along with it. Yep. But to be successful, you must be obsessed. Yes. And don't ever get it twisted. You have to be obsessed. You could walk into shit. Maybe that's one in one million that that happens. But most of the time, you don't see the backstory and the grind that people went through to get to where they are. You must be obsessed. A hundred percent. Yeah. Uh, it's, I'm very invested in what I do and, and I'm very obsessed with it. So I, for, for lack of time, yeah. I want to move this along a little bit. Yeah. You then continue to play hockey. You go off, you go to prep school for a couple of years in Jersey. Yeah. You know, you didn't do so well maybe with the preppy kids. Didn't acclimate. Got a little trouble. Yeah. Got a little trouble. A little bit. Yeah. Graduated <laughs> Philly High School. You went away to college. I did not. No. Did not, right? No, I didn't. Uh, so around the age of 18, 19 years old, what were you looking to do? Well, you know, I had, I got this job at 16 doing cold calling for an ad company and um I did do a little bit of like community college locally. I would try to take a couple classes. It didn't work out for me. Um, as a matter of fact, I was like 19 and I was killing it at this this ad company that I worked for. I started out as a cold caller, worked my way up to a sales guy. And I realized <clears throat> when I was doing the classes, like, it just wasn't for me, you know? And I, I look, get it. Look, yeah, college isn't for everybody. Um, I do encourage the kids that I work with now to go to school and at least try it. I think everybody should give it a, give it a go. I think it's important if you can, if it is you and it could really help you. And if you're playing what, sports. Yeah, of course. And depending upon what the career is you want to do, you ha- some people have to have that. Um, for me, I knew that I, I was going to get it a different way. Um, so, you know, I became... But I took it in 19. Let's go back to 16. So yeah, 16, yeah. you get an opportunity to cold call for yeah. an advertising franchise Yeah, it was an advertising, firm. advertising company. They had, um, it's a really cool company. They had these digital TVs um, in like local hotspots, ice rinks, bowling alleys, whatever, and they would run ads on the TV when you would walk in. So like the hockey rink, you have to know what rink you're going to in locker room. They would put an ad TV right next to that. So every person who walks in would have to see mm-hmm. It was a really cool concept. We did really well. They, they, they gave me a job cold calling, um, and, and I loved it. I was, I just was like, this, is, this product is amazing, and I got so good at it that I was actually selling it in the cold calls, but that wasn't my job. My job was to set meetings for sales guys. Mm-hmm. And uh, it was $25 an appointment set, and then $25 if it closed. That's what I would get paid. So I would aim to get it closed. I wanted to make 50 bucks, not 25. Yeah, why not? Yeah, and the sales guys started coming back and going, this guy's like, he's, he's setting me up to close, you know, every time. So they were like, kid, you wanna throw a suit on and get out there, you know? And that's kinda how that started. How many cold calls were you doing a day? I'd say an average of 150 to 200. Dude, yeah. talk about dialing for dollars. It's, Cause 
these people nowadays, yeah. it makes me a little crazy. And it's because I love you, not because I'm angry, yeah. but my passion of like, you have social media, dude. Yeah. You could DM 200 people oh, easily a day on some Autobot that does it for you. It. Yeah. Like, we were picking up the phone, I was the same, 150 day, a day, yeah. calling about health insurance to find an inroad to that business owner to talk planning. <laughs> yeah. Talk yeah. about those cold calls and what dialing for dollars meant for you. I mean, well, first, and how you got through it? First of all, I was learning every trick of the trade. I mean, I realized that if I would call between 7:30 and 8:30, I would get the business owner because the secretaries wouldn't come in till 8:30, but the business owners were always there early. Same deal, 5:30 to 6:30 at night. So those were my hot hours. I would not put the phone down. I literally just kept dialing. Um, <clears throat> but also just learning how to. Where'd deal. you get your list back then? Uh, yellow pages. Yeah. Uh, I would drive around and look at billboards, uh, TV commercials, anywhere that there was an ad. You know, diners, yep. right? Because we were dealing with local businesses. Rip out the sheet. Yeah, you know those diner mats cards. that have all the little. <laughs> yeah. I would call every guy on those. Take things. the business cards off the pegboard. And and door to door. Yeah. Which was the hardest. Yeah, you had to have the real balls to walk in. Dude, if I told you the stories about some of the things that happened to me with some of the local business owners. I mean, I've had people take my paper and throw it back in my face, ball it up and throw it, get, yeah. get out of here, you know, and eating that, you know, but I didn't care because I knew rejection was part of the game. Yeah. So for the, every guy that rejected me, there was somebody behind him that wasn't. And, and again, I, I try to get nuggets. So when I slip behind you of something good you just said, yeah. I don't mean to piggyback no, on it, good. but yeah. Yeah. like for those of you who are don't have enough deals, it's your fault. You're afraid of rejection. Oh, of course. You're afraid of getting out there. 100%. You're afraid of someone saying no to you on Facebook. You're afraid of someone making fun of your post on Instagram. Get out there and put yourself out there. 100%. And you know, a good lesson I learned and I wrote a newsletter about this. If you're not signed up to mine, you should be because they're fire. Yeah. Um, Chris Drake, I've talked about him many times, told me the best thing you could do is get to know as fast as possible. Mm. Mm. Wow. That's a good one. Get to know I'm as a big fast. quote guy. I like that one. Get to know as fast as possible because you know that this person doesn't want your services or what you have, and someone does. Someone does, yep. And I, I, I thought that was something that still sticks to me to this day. I learned about time is money off of that, you know, getting to know as soon as possible. I, uh, <clears throat> my mentor in the business is a guy named Bob McEwen. Bob McEwen and Brian Rabinowitz are my two big mentors in the business. Bob McEwen is the chief revenue officer of Clear Channel Outdoor Global now, uh, but at the time he was my boss at iHeart. And uh, I remember, I, I, I'll make this story quick, but I, I closed my first big deal, big deal. It was a $10,000 order. How old were you? So I was 21, I just started at iHeart. I just started. And Bob goes, I go into his office, I'm so excited. Bob, I hand him the deal, I close this deal, blah, 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 right? And he's, great, great. Uh, actually, the deal was like 50 grand. He goes, so what's your commission on that 50 grand? And I made 15%, right? I was 7,500. He goes, oh, that's great, Sean, that's great. Hey, um, how many months did you spend closing that? I said, three. He goes, and how many days were you in their office? And I said, three to four. And he goes, and how many hours would you spend on those days? You go all the way to Brooklyn, right? So you got to factor in the time you got there. I said, probably like five, you know, two hours in, three hours there, whatever. He goes, fantastic. So six hours a day, five hours a day, three days a week, conservatively, three months. Do me a favor, can you add up those hours for me real quick? I add them up and he goes, what was your commission again? I said 7,500, he goes, yeah, right, so, uh, and I forget what the number was, right? He goes like $3 an hour, he goes, $3, what, you make $3 an hour? I said, yeah, he goes, great, great. 
So three dollars an hour. That's what it's worth. And I was like, he goes, he Sean, to show time is money. Yeah. Time is money. Don't waste time. Get in there. Get it done. Yeah. Your time is valuable. And ever since that day, I never wasted time. I got right to know. Because as a young guy at 21, you thought 7,500 bucks was a lot of money, right? You know what the funny part? Even even more than that, it was just like closing a deal, right? Mm -hmm. I closed the deal, you know, at, at this big it. company. I did it, you yeah. know? It's like, I, I get it. No, dude, like I, it was, it was just, and then my whole thought process changed after Shifts. that. Shifts. And I was like, holy smokes, like I gotta, you know, I don't know, man. I just, everything changed the way it's, I it's a, it. It's an aha moment that you hit in yes. your life. And, and I tell people all the time, sometimes that can't be taken out of my head with a chip and put into yours. You got to walk through the fire. Definitely. Right? You got to be forged. You got to make that tough steel. Definitely. Um, and that's from being in the heat, you know, going through it and yeah. doing the work. So taking you back, you're doing cold calls. They bring you in, putting your suit on. Yeah. What happens after you leave that company? Where did you go? It was around age 20, 21. Yeah, was that Z100 or iHeart first? iHeart, yeah. So iHeart had Z100 in their branch. So it was uh, five radio stations. So I had just job opportunity in New York. And and you were still in Philly at the time, right? I was in Philly, yeah. And I I, I was really, I'll be honest, I was uh, really hesitant to leave Philadelphia. You know, it was a big fear. You know, it wasn't New York that scared. I grew up in New York. My cousin's from Staten Island. It was no big deal going to New York. It was just leaving Philly, mm -hmm. leaving what I knew. Leaving your friends. Leaving my friends. Leaving Can my I family. make it? Can Am I, I good it? enough? Right. All that stuff, you know? I'll tell you real quick. So, so I get there, and I, I'm, I'm really overthinking this thing. And I'm talking to my mother, my father, the whole thing. My father says, listen, son, go to New York. It doesn't work out. Guess what? Philly's going to be here. We're not mm. going anywhere. Yep. Okay? So put us in your rearview mirror and get on your way. Yeah. Get and out. He, and he goes, I'll tell you right now, you're going to be the king of New York. And I started laughing. I go... Yeah, yeah, the king of New York, okay. And he goes, I'm serious, son, you're gonna be the king of New York. So my first day, I get there and I'm like, oh, I'm thinking like, should I even be here? I'm getting ready to leave, go home. I, I was about to call quits. I didn't wanna be in New York, right? I, Anxiety I'm, was ridden you. Walk outside the office, this is a true story. This guy walks up and he goes, my man, my man, yo, can you tell me where, blah, blah, blah. I go, cause I don't know, I, I, I'm not from here, I'm not a New York guy. And, and, I, and he goes, oh, you're not from New York, where are you from? I said, I'm from Philly. He goes, shoot, Philly, huh? I said, yeah, I'm from Philly. He goes, look at you, man. And I'm, now I'm paying attention to him. He goes, look at you. And he goes, guy from Philly, about to come be the king of New York. Boom, that's twice. And I went. That's I said, twice. I called my father. I said, I'm staying. That's twice. He goes, good, son. Give it a year. Did you ever see that guy again? Never, no. That was God. I dude. got chills. That dude. was God. Yeah, dude. I'm serious. I'm not a crazy religious. I believe in you no, know, I believe in God higher too. power. Yeah, I believe yeah. in God. Well, it's funny you brought up that story earlier when I was just telling a very similar story on East Ave this afternoon. That's what I'm saying, it's, man. It's, you know, and, and that was true, man. And I'll never forget that moment when he said King of New York. And I, I looked at him and I was like, are you God? Like, There was it, something he saw in you, some trepidation, some fear. And he said, dude. I got to pump this kid with some juice. Something. He was such a random I got, guy. I got chills, dude. Yeah. That's some cool shit. I'll never forget that as long as I live. So, so I stayed. So what was your job hire for coming to the radio station? Yeah, so I got the job. Uh, the job hire was to be uh, an account executive was the title. But really what we were doing is selling celebrity brand endorsements, right, for five different radio stations, Z100, Power 105, 103.5 KTU, 106.7 Light FM, and uh, WOR, I think, was our other now, station. Now, were you working in the radio station itself or in that building that hosted yeah, all of yeah, those? Yeah, it was two floors, second and third floor. Second floor was sales, third floor was the actual 
radio stations, but I was in the radio stations all day. I made friends with all of them. You know, Helen Little from Light FM. She's my girl. I love her. You know, uh, all the guys at Power 105, Charlemagne, DJ Clue. I got real tight with those guys when I was there. KTU, Bartel. Charlemagne is still still doing Yeah, Charlemagne's killing it. Yeah. yeah. I really you had, you had a story when we were chatting before over at yeah. the bar. Yeah. You walked in and, and at one point in your early days, yeah. Jay-Z was sitting on yeah. your desk. My first day. Was it your first my day? My first day on the job. Yeah, walk downstairs with a vet. Talk about the king of New York. Vet sales guy, right? Yeah, yeah. And uh, and he goes, let's go get a coffee downstairs. Jay-Z rolls up in the Maybach, and he's like, I'm like, dude, that's Jay-Z. And he's like, yeah, he's here all the time. Like, so nonchalant, you know? And then Jay-Z comes up, and he's, like, chilling right on our, like, literally sitting on the desk in front of me, like, just talking to us. Yeah. And they're like, get used to it, man. Bieber's here, Gomez, Selena, they're all here. They all hang out. It's no big deal. They come chat with us all the time. And how old, 21? I was 21. Yeah, and I was the youngest sales guy there by at least five years. I mean, that's, you know. All right, jumping back in. I'd like to take a little break. And shout out to Figurato, Frank. He's one of the dudes and one of the coaching platforms that I'm on. Uh, this Olivia cigar is delicious. Figurato cigars, check them out. Sean Whalen actually recently gave him a shout out. I think it shut down his website, but the dude's <laughs> hustling. He's trying to do the right thing. Yeah. You know, give this guy a shout. Dude, it's tasty. It's a, a great cigar. Great. Man. Yeah, really. I like this up real quick. It's well kept, too. I mean, it's it's smooth. This is a, about as smooth a draw as you get. I don't smoke cigars very often anymore. I used to smoke them like. I feel like I smoked three or four a week at one point. Now I smoke You don't really one drink it shit, though. What's wrong with that? I don't know. Yeah. It's a little some, crutch, nothing yeah, bad. Something smoking a cigar do, every you know? day. But a good smooth draw. I mean, yeah, shout out to him, man. He did a good job. So, King of the New York, that's an awesome story. And you briefly were just saying you had another similar thing happen to you. You were frustrated, aimlessly yeah. walking through the city. Talk about that real quick, because that's a great story. I mean, a month later, I mean, I was going through it. Like, my first, you know, month on the job, it was hard, man. You know, it was a lot of reasons, but it was hard. And, uh, you know, I was I was on uh, I was on the verge of uh, like tears. You know, I don't, I'm not a big crier, but you know that's how I was feeling. I was very, you know, we've all been there that frustrating moment. And I'm walking down the street, and my shoe just pops untied randomly. And and uh, 43 is my lucky number. They should, everybody should know that 43 Oak is my company. So obviously it's a we're gonna get into that important number to me, right? And um, I I drop down to tie my shoe, and I'm like cursing at the world. I'm pissed off, and I tie my shoe and. I, I stand up, and there's a flyer on the phone booth next to me for a gym that had just opened next to my office. And the big, giant number on it for the membership was $43. And I was like, get the hell out of here. And it was a sign. I'm like, 43, it's my lucky number. I, so I got to stay. And I took that flyer. I still have it in my office. I remember that. You know, I look at that flyer sometimes when I'm having a hard day, and I remind myself. Do you, you think know. that people should look for those signs Absolutely. and look for the positivity and you look have, for the lane? You have to look for the positivity. It's there. You gotta find it. And it's yeah. not always super easy to find, but you gotta look, man, because if you have that, the other mindset, it's gonna be over for you before you know it. So I'm in some coaching groups, they have it, but I have a Facebook group, which you know, you know about, and yeah. it's called The Pit. Yeah. And uh, obviously, play on words with the fire pit, fireside. Yeah. Um, but we're in there, we're, we're in there lifting people up. Yeah, man. Getting people deals, raising money for real estate, raising money for investments. But there's a section in a, in a group chat that I created inside of that called your wins. You've got to count your wins, dude. Got to count. And it's not just a Maybach or a Range Rover or that sick Mercedes you put pulled in my driveway. It could be as simple as I'm a business owner now and I showed up to my son's Halloween party. That's it. I showed up to my son or my daughter's practice. Look for your wins every day. And it's hard, dude. I, I have a, a part of my brain that wants to go to negativity. I think 
all humans do. Yeah. But I stay fixated on where I want to go. I had a I had a day recently. I was I was in New York very early. I left my house. I got to the city at like eight. Had a couple meetings. Got done at eleven. My next meeting wasn't until three. I drove all the way back to Yardley, PA, just to catch my daughter to put her down for her nap. Spent a half hour with her. Got back in the car and drove back to New York for the second half of my meetings. That's dedication. I man. just needed to see my kid. I needed my win of the yeah. day, you know. And it was a tough day, and she made it all better. And the second half of my day was rock star lights out. Talk about that dedication to your, your, your daughter. And your daughter's name again, I'm sorry. Briar. 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 Yeah, Briar Kennedy Grevy. She's. Uh, she sounds Italian. She's Irish. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, she's Irish. Uh, she's my girl, man. She's my world. <clears throat> so you love her to death and adore her. I never loved anything in my life the way I love this kid. And, I've, and I have some true loves in my life, but I've never, ever loved anything the way I love this kid. I, I will go to the end of the earth to make sure that she lives the best life ever. And I mean that. And just seeing her smiling face, uh, I don't mean to get sappy or yeah, cheesy yeah. or whatever, but it's the truth, man. I didn't understand it. People used to tell me about their kids. I was like, single, yeah, okay, you know, okay, guy, you know, whatever. Yeah. Uh, no, I get it. I get, I get it. it. And there's nothing that I want more than to see my kid. I wish I could spend every second of the day with her. Yeah, but you, you got to sacrifice to give sacrifice. them Absolutely. to live a different life than Absolutely. and you grow up. And that's not any knock at your no. parents because they seem like they raised a great thank you great man and uh shout out to your mom and dad yeah shout out to my mom and dad seriously and dad. yeah thank you brother. but i i fully get that you know i laid my son down to sleep last night and the facebook group again the pit was blowing up and yeah. people were messaging me and it was and i'm like babe this is momentum i gotta stay on it yeah you know yeah. we have this big guest coming into town next week yeah. i won't give it away but yeah he hangs with the with the rich and famous yeah. especially yeah. in the social media space they yeah. fly helicopters private jets they yeah, live yeah, yeah, in yeah. the sides of mountains they live in the way that we all want to live yeah of course and uh i said i needed to do this i needed to stay on it i walked up to to his room he was going to bed and I explained to him for 10 minutes, very slowly, he's a three-year-old, for those of you who don't know, my son Colton, three years old, and I said, do you like this bed you sleep in? Do you like this house you live in? I said, you have to go to work, it takes money. And I was actually asking him these questions. Yeah. And then if he didn't have the answer, I, I gave it to him. Yeah. And I think that a lot of people don't instill that in their children, no. and they should. You know, I get it, we ought to be a present father, a present mother, but damn, if you want to give your kids a better life than you had, you got to make some sacrifices away from the family. It just, yep. Tim, uh, what's his name? Uh, who's Jordan's coach? Wrote the book, Winning, Winningest. Oh, oh my God. What's his name? I'm drawing a blank right now. Yeah. No, I know. Evan, is. this is you. Winning. Coach? Winning his coach. No, it's not winning his coach. It's the book's winning. Tim, is it Tim? Fuck. Anyway, he talks about a moment where his child said to him, why he had to fly out? He was going to coach Kobe on something. Yeah. Uh, rest in peace, Kobe. Yeah, man. Uh, Philly guy. Philly guy. Love and um, he said, Dad, I'll eat less food if you don't have to fly out to this meeting. <laughs> Imagine your kid telling you that. <sighs> oh, man, I, I, I don't, yeah. I couldn't imagine my kid saying that. So... Tim Grover. Tim Grover. Tim Grover. There you go. Yeah, that's it. Winning. And, and Winning. if you haven't read that book, you should. I haven't, but I will now. Um, and again, you don't have to believe everything that everybody says, but you could take nuggets from everything. And I'm getting, getting us off track because we both obviously are driven by our family and, and giving them a better life than we had. Of course. So 
you're working for iHeart, Z100, you're around Jay-Z, the rich and famous of New York. You quickly excelled up the ladder there. Like, like you, were the, you were the top dog for a time being there in the radio station world, advertising, branding world, correct? Yeah, toward the end of my radio, I, th- I feel like I was playing with the big guys, for sure. I mean, there were some vets in the game that I think were pretty untouchable, you know, and all respect to those guys. They were Well, they, they had a lockdown. They knew who they are. You they know. put their time in. Yeah, and you know, it's funny. There was a situation where I, I decided to stay at my, my radio group when I had an offer from somewhere else, and I told my Bob, actually, at the time, he asked me, what do you need to, to stick around? Because he, he wanted me there, and I get why now. And I said, I had a few lists of things that I wanted, and I said, I want to be in the winner's circle. He said, what do you mean? I said, you know that little cubicle area where the top dogs sit? There's three of them. I want that fourth chair. Somebody just left. It's vacant. I want it. He goes, well, then you got it. And for my last year over there, I sat with the winning guys, the guys who were the beast, the guys that were making over a million dollars a year selling radio, and I and I was listening all day. Just I was gonna say, what what did it do for you sitting in that chair? I was just listening, man. I just was watching what they did and watching how they worked. Yeah, I wanted to learn. I I'm I'm a student of the game to the to this day. I, I could learn from anybody. We all are. Yeah, I could learn from anybody. You could be 18 years old. You might have something to teach me. I don't know. I think everybody's got something to share. Especially listen to the young kids. I, I say it all the time. Walk through the exercise. Put yourself in that moment. You know, we want to, yeah. you know, I say we, but the people that are really close to fireside chats yeah. and the pit and all that, we want to build a fantasy factory. I don't know if you've seen the dude who owns DC Shoes. He had yeah. him, and, oh, him yeah. and Big Rob. And, yeah, Big Rob, yeah. Uh, th- they had this sick warehouse that had like a loft of offices and there was a weight room and there was, you know, for him, they had like some skateboarding shit. For us, we're going to have dirt bikes and yeah. wrestling mats and Hockey a gym and, and a bar. <laughs> yeah. But, uh, you know, we went and walked a couple properties out here in Farmerdale, about 20 minutes west of where I live in, in uh, Point Pleasant. And... You feel it like this isn't this isn't untouchable to me. Yeah. Why can't I do this? Yeah. Absolutely. Of course I can do this. Absolutely. You were putting yourself in that seat, saying the dude that was in this seat before me is making or was making the money I want to make. So I want to put myself rubbing elbows with these type of people. I know, I There's needed, nothing wrong with that. I needed to be there. I had I had to be a sponge in that seat. So fast forward, that was your last year there. You're crushing it. How old were you? I was probably about 25 at that point. Yeah. 25 years old. Is that the point where you had, had your injury on the I ice? Did. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. You had the injury on the ice. You had come down with, is it a disease or it's an injury name? Uh, they never gave me an official ruling, but it was, um, it's what Justin Bieber has most recently had: the Ramsey Hunt, Bell's palsy, uh, paralyzation of the face. Uh, mine was trauma-induced. I <clears throat> got hit in the neck playing hockey. Um, I've had quite a few injuries playing the sport. I have nine concussions, five missing teeth. I've had a lot of cut my Achilles in half, broke my left hand twice, cut my eye open, the whole thing. This was the worst of them all for sure. Paralyzed my face, pinched the nerve, got hit in the neck with a forearm, and it shut me down for six months. I couldn't eat, I couldn't drink, couldn't talk properly. I was drinking from a straw, and uh, it changed my whole life, it changed my whole perspective, the way people treated me. You know, you'd be shocked. Uh, people treat you differently when you look funny. Because uh, I looked funny. You know, I was blubbering when I would talk. And, uh, yeah, it changed my whole, my whole life, my whole perspective. And I realized at that time, I, you know, one of the big things for me is before that even happened, I was really considering going out on my own. 
I didn't know if it was the right time or not, but I was considering it. And the big reason was I, I knew that I wanted to protect my clients that I had. And I knew that when I was there in corporate, no knock on these companies, I deal with them now. But it is what it is. They, they charge what they're, what, they, what they're told to charge. They're corporate companies. That's their job. And clients that are new to the media space or not used to buying media are not always necessarily aware of what things should cost. Mm. And I would always go in with these really low ball deals and hook my clients up and then I'd come back to the office and catch a slap on the wrist. And I wasn't cool with that, you know, and, and I wanted to protect my clients from that and I'll ultimately work against the company I was working for, the companies that I worked for. I'll tell you who's a G at buying commercial ads is that dude with the MyPillow. Oh yeah, that Mike Lindell. Yeah, that guy's everywhere. Legend, man. Legend. Absolute legend. Like, I mean, well, like he seems like he's getting like forty cents on the dollar. Well, he is. You know, and he he, you know, how he, does that he work? He has buying power, right? He's. But how uh, does that work to to get into the nitty gritty of that a, a little bit? And I'm probably jumping ahead. No, it's okay. Yeah. But but how does that really work, right? As Obviously, the more money you have, the more ads you could buy. It's just like break points in, in a mutual fund. The more money you have, the yeah. cheaper the cost is. Yeah. But talk about that from a perspective of how you leverage your other clients to help maybe the guy that's not doesn't have the ability to spend as much. Well, that's how I knew I was going to help when I started the agency. I knew that I could I could ultimately build a book that I'd be able to help one client with the power of five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, whatever it was. And as the agency grew, that power grew, right? And that. And so there was a definite buying power for me as I grew to a national company. You know, my company is a national agency, so we buy everywhere from LA to New York and in between. And it's all from the same companies. We're buying from the Clear Channels and the iHearts and all these guys, right? And, and the Outfronts. And <clears throat> so we spend millions of dollars with them around the country. But it's always with the same companies because they're the big players in every market. So we have that power with them. We have, but also on top of that, we have the relationships, right? We know the marketplace. We know it inside and out. It's a very volatile marketplace. The media space, billboards, TV, knowing when to buy. Like the last month has been brutal, right? Buying TV in the state of Pennsylvania and certain other places because of politics. Yeah, all the political ads were taking yeah. everything away, so you couldn't even get a spot. Mm -hmm. So you move the money somewhere else, but you have to have somebody that understands that to be able to advise you to do so, so you don't waste your money in that space. Yeah, or you buy it differently. Right, mm -hmm. and so that's what we do. We have that knowledge and that and that relationship to to understand it and where it's at, and then we also have the buying power to go in and, and help a client that even a client that might spend a lot of money in their market by themselves, we still can help them, not only from a, a financial standpoint where we're saving the money. Of course, we want to save everybody money, but it's not just that. It's also using strategies that we know work. I'm not reinventing the wheel with what I do. I know what works, mm -hmm. and I know how to work it. So it only works if you work it, right? You gotta put that action in. You gotta do it the right way, and that's what we do. We, we go in, we don't take guesses. It's not a guessing game for me. Yeah, you I'm know what it is. fully confident when I run a marketing campaign that it's gonna work. Mm -hmm. When I left the corporate world, my number one goal was to never, ever, ever in my life hear the words again, this isn't working. Mm -hmm. I don't wanna hear that. I'm gonna do everything within my power to make sure that I don't have to hear that. And that means me waking up every day running through brick walls for my clients, doing everything I have to do to get them the best deals and get them the best placement. And yeah. if you look at clients like Jamie, Eat Clean Bro. I was gonna go into that and, and your first big hit. Yeah, Pondley Hockey, these guys have the best billboards in the market. They own their cities, they mm -hmm. own their markets. You can't go to a, I, listen, I put $10,000 on it right now. You go to a Jersey Turnpike service station, you pull 10 people from the state of New Jersey, 
Ask them if they know who Eat Clean Bro is. Mm -hmm. I guarantee you nine out of 10 say they know of Eat course. Clean Bro. And I bet they tell you they've seen the billboards. No doubt about it. Everybody has. That's the point. We build brand equity. We bring, build brand validity. And he's about, to, he's about to do it even bigger, huh? He's killing it, man. He's blowing it up. His, his business is on fire. This guy's taking over the world. And he's always got a great product. His food is phenomenal. And they're good people. Yeah. He's good people. He's great people. Him, his wife, Kayla. I mean, they got the right thing. And, and that's, those are the kind of people that I like to work with. Pondley Hockey, same thing. Those guys are like my brothers. I, I, I want to go back to that story, yeah. though. Yeah, so you, yeah definitely. So, definitely. Uh, so I'll fast forward the story a little bit. You launch your own shit. Yeah. You start landing some big clients, obviously, like Jamie and E-Clean Bro. Yep. And you're driving down the turnpike with your mother, right? You need a lighter again? <laughs> yeah, let me steal You're that. driving down the turnpike. Thanks, brother. And you see this billboard that says pond leaf <laughs> pond lee hockey yeah pond lee hockey yeah, i'm yeah, sorry and yeah. you say to your mother i told her i said I, i'm gonna work with these guys i said i love the name because at the time like i didn't know anybody there and i said it sounds like pond hockey which is i'm a hockey player i thought that was awesome and i i knew pond lee hockey the brand these guys were they were big players even then and i said to her i was like i i'm gonna find a way to work with this this is gonna be one of my clients at 43 oak I really did. I, was, I, I just knew it was some kind of weird universe thing. I knew in my head that I, we were going to find a way to do that. And, and I didn't even know and, anybody and there. And describe who they are, what they do, and how large they are. So they're, they are they are the largest work comp firm in the state of Pennsylvania. They're, they're massive, uh, and they're the best at what they do. Uh, they got great partners, uh, Sam Pond and Jerry Lee Hockey and Tommy Giordano, and, and their executive team, Sean Lee Hockey, Brian Riley, all just really great people. They, they're just really hard workers. They're all fighters. And they really care about their clients. And, and I knew that when I met these guys, that they were fighters. And that, that resonated with me, you mm -hmm. know? And um, well, I want to talk about the story about how you f officially met them. Yeah, yeah. And, so and, and what that was, because yeah. this is taking a risk. Yeah, so, I mean, I, I got invited to a dinner through a friend of mine, Matty, Matty Shriveman, and, and he invited me out. And he said, listen, I'm bringing this guy, Tommy Giordano, to, the, to dinner. You got to meet him. Tommy and this guy, Joe Luke, good buddies of mine now. And uh, I went to the dinner and I just knew, like, I knew that this was going to be a good thing. I knew it was going to be a good friendship. And uh, not that these guys expected me to, but I, I paid for the dinner that night because I wanted to, you know. And I remember Tommy being like, dude, he's such a good guy. He's like, you don't have to do that, you know. And I was like, no, nah, I need to do this, you know. Like, I, I needed to do that for me. And, and to be fair and, and real at the time, you were. I had nothing. You were not sitting no, you know, with, with 50 grand in the bank. You I, were sitting with a, with a G in the bank, maybe. I had a G, maybe. And the dinner was <laughs> 500 know, five bucks. Five, yeah. Yeah, somebody, we yeah. had a nice dinner. And uh, I remember walking out of there, man. And Tommy would laugh if I told him this story now. But I, I remember walking well, out of there. He's going to hear it now. He's going to hear the story now. <laughs> I was like, oh, my God. Like, I just I just spent my whole bank account like I, you know but I, I knew like I just had a good feeling about these guys and it turns out fast forward down the road you know Tommy Giordano was a partner of Pondley Hockey and and uh, you know it didn't happen right away by the way we didn't work together the next day so I think some people think like oh I'm gonna go out and I'm gonna take care of these guys and and then tomorrow they're gonna be my client and if yeah. they don't then forget them mm -hmm. you know because they didn't give me what I wanted. Yeah. No, it doesn't work like that. I told Tommy one time what I did. And then Tommy and I just stayed friends. We stayed boys after that. You know, I checked on him and his kids. He asked me about my family. We stayed friends. And then one day, an opportunity popped up. My mom got hurt on the job. I called Tommy for help. He hung up the phone. He called me back 10 seconds later and told me he couldn't believe he forgot to tell me, come in for an interview for my agency. And that was five years ago. We've been working with them ever since. They've been our client, Pond Lee Hockey, the largest, one of the top five referral network law firms in the country. 
Dude, a major I, account. I, I could tell you, you know, the instant gratification thing because I'm naturally yeah. just a, just an impatient person. Me too. Me too. Not because I don't, you know, want to help. Not because I'm not willing to wait ten years for your business. But naturally young, I was doing that sometimes and becoming frustrated. Like, dude, I'm doing this for you. What the fuck? Yeah. You know, I'm doing this for you. What the fuck? And it was out of my goodness of my heart that I was doing those things, thinking it would come back to me. And to be very honest, it was probably three, four years ago that it really started to click where just keep helping people. Just keep helping people. Just keep helping people. And that's where I chased this vision of everything I have going on now, which is you know, lining up opportunity after opportunity after opportunity while everybody else is is also winning. Off the fruits of my labor, Evan's labor, and everybody who's helped with Fireside and everything we have going on. Yeah. And as a young business owner, you know, the nugget to grab from that point of Sean is just be patient. Yeah. Especially when you're 20 and you're 21 and you're 22. Your 20s are for fucking up business. Yeah, they are. And then you get on cruise control a little bit in your 30s and you make your most money in your early 40s into your 50s, and then you could chill. And that's been told to me for a long time, but it's hard to listen to that. Uh, it's it's hard to chew on it when yeah, you're you like- you wanna make that money, man. Yeah. But you know what? I want a house, I want a wedding, I want a, you know, I want a wife. I think another big takeaway too is, is alongside patience is to be genuine. You know, that night with those guys, I didn't, I wasn't offered to pay for a dinner because I wanted to be a big shot or because I, I wasn't trying to flex. You were thankful to be there. I was thankful to be at that table, man. Yeah. They were important guys. You know, Joey Luke hooked me up with a great account with Rothman Orthopedic. I mean, but it wasn't about that. Even if those guys never did business with me, I was grateful think to that be they their friends. Do you think that they didn't know that you didn't really have that money? I think they knew. Of course they knew, yeah, dude. Yeah, I think they knew, man. I think, you know, I think I, I think I thought that they didn't know. Yeah, you, you know, showed up in my serious head, I was, hell, Yeah, I, man, I was in a nice suit, the yeah. whole thing, you know, but in my head, I was who I was five years later. That's mm -hmm. how I've always lived. People ask me, where are you today? Boom. I am where I am five years later. That's what it is, dude. Yeah. Putting right yourself now. in the position of that's, I, I want to live there. And actually, I used to get that push back on me a lot. Yeah. And again, this is a conversation. It's it, this is your interview, but these are no, great nuggets. Dude, I, and please, man. Again, yeah. I want people to take them. A lot of people in my first financial firm that I worked for was like, this kid's a fucking jerk off. This kid thinks he's a million dollar producer. But what all of those assholes did not realize, yeah. and they're realizing today, I told you fucks, <laughs> that I was already a million dollar producer in my head. Absolutely. And if you wanna win anything, you gotta believe in it yeah. to your core. You gotta, again, be obsessed with it. Obsessed. So. I knew it. I knew it. I I was already living in Yardley. I already had the the family and the car. I, just, I knew, I knew what I wanted. I knew I was there. You I gotta stop there. buying those Mercedes, dude. You gotta get something that has a lease of like, 100,000 miles a year to, <laughs> to mount that you drive, dude. <laughs> I need to buy a train ticket is what I need to buy. Seriously. <laughs> monthly, go to work. Monthly NJ Transit. <laughs> I love it here. When I went to the city, I was going to the boat. So mm. it was still the same time That's if great. I hopped on a train, but nah, I'd go great. up to the boat. It was amazing. Coffee in the morning, a bagel. Way home, cocktail on the way back. Your yep. rugby albums with a ton of great, successful people. That's awesome. That's awesome. I wish so, I had a boat. I'm taking this all over the map, but I think that people are gonna feel some genuineness from this and they're gonna get some really good nuggets. You start to hit your stride. You, you land a, a company like that. You're, you're working with Jamie from eClean Bro, which yeah. was your biggest Definitely. client to Big begin client. with yeah, yeah. at the time. Big name. 
And then walk us through, you know, your next couple of years and how 43 Oak got launched. Yeah, so, uh, yeah, from there it was just, it was slow and steady wins the race. Um, I, I didn't want to make a ton of money. I wanted to make money. I, I don't ever want people to be confused about that. But I wanted to make it the right way. It's I okay did, to make money as yeah, long as you're I doing it right. I believe in that. I believe in making it the right way. I also believe in giving back. Um, it wasn't just about making money. I knew I wanted to be philanthropic. How? What do I do? How do I give back? I don't know. Do I donate to a charity? That doesn't feel very genuine. I want to be hands-on. Do I go to a soup kitchen? Sure, maybe. And then all of a sudden, boom. I'm coaching a hockey team, and there's a couple minority kids in the team, and they're from Harlem. And they start getting called the N-word on the ice. And I realize that they're struggling to pay for the team they're on. And I go, hold on a second. This is me. Except for minus getting called the names on the ice. The not having enough money to play, being left on the fourth line, all that. And I said, I got, I got it. I got it. Now, where was this? This was in New York City in Manhattan. Yeah, I was coaching at Chelsea Piers. And it was that like a high-end rink or something? Oh, yeah. It's the, only rink in, it's the only rink in Manhattan. So if you're a hockey player playing travel hockey in the borough of Manhattan, which there are millions of people that live in the borough of Manhattan, you are one of, at every age group, let's say you're 14, you are one of less than 100 players that get to play at a travel level of hockey. That's it. 100 kids at the age of 14 in a borough of Manhattan get to play travel ice hockey. Everyone else is designated to recreational hockey, which is a dead end. Mm-hmm. It's a dead end. And so there were all these kids that were playing rec hockey that were really good from Harlem. Ice hockey in Harlem and all these different... And I'm like, these kids are out there, you know? And I asked this one kid, Lyndon Spencer, I said, yo, how, how do we get more of these guys? I want to do this. I don't want to work with... Not, not for nothing. I like the kids that I coached. But I want to help you guys. What do we do? He goes, coach, get me some ice and say less. I said, I got ice next week, Saturday, Chelsea Pierce. He shows up with eight kids from the South Bronx. These kids are buzzing around the ice. Six, three, six, four, monsters. And I'm like, we got it. We got it. This is it. We're it making a team. It and from there, dude, we just, just, I just, it was just a build out, right? And I started this program. I co-founded it with somebody. And then and it was 501C. We eventually became a 501C3 and worked toward that. And then when I started the 43 Oak Foundation, officially, um, in 2017, I had a clear purpose. I knew exactly what it was that I wanted to do after a few years of doing what I was doing. It was to provide mentorship to our players, right? These kids needed guidance in life, not just hockey. They needed to know how to make a resume for work, and they needed to know financial literacy, like I was just telling you. You were just on the phone with UBS and yeah. all your players. UBS and the Islanders did a call with us just as I was walking in here teaching my players about financial literacy. You got some of the top guys at UBS teaching my kids about wealth management. Invaluable, right? And then it's connections in the sport of WCC hockey. WCC should be teaching them about wealth management. Let's do it. Let's set something in, up, bro. man. Let's get them in. I'm fucking in. I'll go wherever you want to go. I would love it, man. We just a fat wanna, white guy to the hood. I'm just, there, bro. Dude, we just want to help these kids, man. Any opportunity, anybody can lend a piece of advice, we want to do it. And, uh, you know, so we started doing that and we started uh, all, uh, connections in the sport, getting these kids the right connections at AAA hockey teams. These kids' parents don't know where to go. Mm-hmm. They don't know who to call. This is hockey. This is a close-knit community. If you're not in it, you're not in it. Yeah. You can't go up to a coach and just, it doesn't work like it's 300 kids at a tryout. Yeah. We call the coaches. Yo, John, listen, I got a kid coming. He's from Harlem. He's a really good hockey player. Yeah. He's good enough. Be you open-minded. Take you take him. Then the third part, if you take him, know he's paid for. If it's a $15,000 a year budget and the kid's only got three, you don't have to scholarship him. We got it. 
We got them. We got them skates, gear, equipment, whatever they need. Travel costs. We are making it so that that kid can absolutely, positively have no reason why he can't play at that level. And I'm proud to say that right now, already, we have three kids playing NCAA collegiate hockey. I have one kid getting a sniff at maybe playing pro hockey next year. We're not doing it to send kids pro. We're doing it to get them an education in school. Yeah, That's absolutely. the goal. But if they go further in the sport, fantastic. We got a bunch of 16-year-olds getting looked at by D1 schools. I mean, we're cranking. We got 80 kids in the program. When we partnered with UBS and the Islanders a year and a half ago, we were only at 10 players. And aside from a couple small donors that and were helping you, and me you out, had small donors, and you were you were emptying your war chest, to, my own pockets, yeah. So forty-three oak. To sum it up very simplistically, is trying to give underprivileged children the ability to play hockey and get on those very expensive ice rinks that cost too much money to get on that they maybe can't afford or or the teams that they can't afford. Tell me how you landed the Islanders and UBS. Well. You know, we, we did a lot of uh, we we did a lot of push on social media to make sure people understood what it was we were doing. And look, you know, I'm not gonna I'm not gonna front, man. You know, our society and culture and what we're living in right now, what what happened during COVID, uh, that really I think you know brought a lot of awareness to injustice, um, led way to people paying more attention to what we were doing. You know, before that, I, I don't know if it was as popular to be honest. To, to you know, I think a lot of people were confused by you know minorities playing hockey and us trying to ha- I think it was confusing but then all of a sudden people realize like wait a second like this culture is is very unjust and there's some things that need to be corrected and wait these guys are doing that and all of a sudden the NHL really you know they always ha- had initiatives but they really stepped it up and, and they they created a lot of initiatives within the NHL to change that and all the teams in the NHL got on board and the Islanders were no different um and the Islanders, but the, where the Islanders were different, in my opinion, uh, in a better way, is they didn't just want to, like, donate to a cause and write a check. They wanted to, to really impact these kids' lives. And they wanted to find a program that was doing that already instead of starting from scratch, you know? Let's find somebody who's out there doing the work. And one of the kids that I coached was actually friends with the guy who was running the New York State Amateur Hockey Association, so he knew about us. The Islanders called New York State and asked him, are there any programs in New York doing this? He said, yeah, there's a couple, here's, here's a few. And he said, well, there's a 43 Oak Foundation. They're a little different than the other programs, the rec programs, where they're actually trying to put kids in college um, and give kids a chance to play tier one AAA instead of just rec hockey. They were like, we want to talk to them. I got a phone call, I thought it was a joke. I thought they were kidding about the Islanders wanting to talk to me. I mean, I've been pushing so hard for so many years to try yeah, and get no somebody to hear me. No one was paying attention. No one was paying attention. No and, one was listening. And here come the Islanders and UBS Wealth Management. They're like, listen, we want to talk to you because they partnered on their rink in Queens. They started that, the brand new rink. And they wanted to make that initiative happen. We spent six months going back and forth. And then they ultimately offered us a million dollars for our program over five years, five-year partnership. And not only that, but just hands-on, right? I just told you about the mentorship stuff, but also the Islanders. We have a clinic on Tuesday at American Dream Mall. We're going to have 50-some kids there, I believe, that are going to be on the ice. The Islanders are going to probably bring, they usually bring coaches or ex-pros or current pros if the guys can come in the off-season and teach the kids. And it's a really, it's just an, it's an incredible experience for our players. But my point is, it's not just writing a check and saying, here you guys go. No, they're engaged. They're like, let's, let's, let's do this thing, man. Yeah, you let's know? get in. Yeah. And let's and get in the trenches. They jump on the calls with me and 
you know, they've helped our players. So it's it's pretty incredible. And and, and you and and something that you said a few minutes ago is you, you found your purpose. Yeah. And I know that your purpose is going to lead you to the financial freedom that you want to have for your own family. And there's nothing wrong with a win-win situation. If you're doing the right things and the right things lead you to also making money, everybody wins in that environment. You know, a lot of times people are like, oh, he's just doing that for money or he's just doing, like, dude, I've got that so much from Fireside. And I'm telling you, Fireside, the pit, the coaching I'm doing, I found my purpose, dude. (laughs) And I'm going to take it to the moon. It's, uh, I can't put words on it. I just can tell you that having that purpose, along with my daughter, right? That's my other purpose, but having that- And your beautiful wife. My beautiful wife, my beautiful family, you know, my mother, my father, my sister. You know, having that purpose with these kids makes every day worth it. You know, the first couple of years, man, like you said, I was putting 10, 20, 30K of my own money into building that program. And I knew what I wanted to do to help these kids. And it, it didn't matter to me what I had to do. I just needed it to happen. Yep. And um, <clears throat> it's, a, it's an incredible feeling seeing a kid's life change. And I won't take responsibility for these kids' success. I'll just, I'll say that it's incredible to be a part of their journey. Yeah, you're guiding them. And to help guide them. Uh, and no, I don't, yeah, as you said, like there are people who are gonna say what they say. I mean, look, we're 100% volunteer at the foundation. Uh, my, you know, Joyce works 40 hour weeks for the foundation for free, it's incredible. Uh, but we do it because we know where it's going, we know, and it gives us that purpose. And so when we're out in the workforce and we're you know, busting our stones to get it done, we know at the end of the day, we're doing good too. You know? We're not just making money, right? I think some people are just too focused on just getting that check and they forget. And this, this is the type around. of stuff that humbles you, man. It brings you down to the ground and it makes you go, you know what? It's great that I have all this stuff, yeah. but you Let know what? Pause. Other people don't. Yeah. Other people don't. And I gotta help these people get their stuff too. And I know you're doing that for your people, and that's what life's about. Yeah, it's good to make money. It's good to make money, but you know what? There's people out there that need help, man. And we gotta help them. And it's our it's our duty it's as our human duty. beings, it's our duty to help others. Our good fortune cannot go to waste. It cannot be for no reason. I, I, I could not agree with you more, dude. Sorry, dude. I no, no. I, I love the up, passion, man. dude. And, and <laughs> it was funny the other day, Derek from SE Arms. Yeah, shout out to SE Arms. Shout out to him, dude. Shout he's out to Derek. He's a, he's a fucking motherfucker. <laughs> <laughs> I love him. Well, he said, you're so angry after one of my posts. And I was like, dude, I ain't angry, but I'm passionate. Passionate, man. I'm passionate because I said, what, what gets me chills, what fills my tank... Like, is helping the next guy up, dude, and, and or girl. I'm dialed into it. Yeah. And and I will make money off of it. I will. I'm not fucking shy to say that. Yeah. But I should, because I've laid out a lot of money. This podcast, the software is plugged into it, the newsletter, the copywriters, the Facebook group, the people on my team. Dude, it, it's not cheap. I'm putting money out of my pocket, no bullshit, on the low end, five Gs a month to it. give free fucking content. But what are you doing? I'm helping a ton of fucking, fucking people. Fucking rights. You're helping people, a man. A ton of people. How and many I will be people rewarded. can say their lives are better because of the help that you gave them? There are, That's what it's about, dude. To be honest with you, recently... I've got a little bit of public recognition where this person comes out of woodwork and Ryan challenged me to do this and Ryan challenged me to do that and Ryan challenged me and maybe I was punching too hard. Yeah. 
and they didn't see my they were, I was misunderstood they didn't see it like that's what the fuck I'm about and it and it and it still doesn't say all right I hit I hit my peak <clears throat> yeah I'm at my 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 pinnacle yeah no I'm just beginning now I'm getting a little notoriety watch what I do from here yeah man definitely watch what we can do together definitely, definitely. so anyway Moving through your story, yeah. you 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 work with some of the biggest brands in the advertising yeah. space. <clears throat> yep. You gave us a little bit of, of and Hudson's jumping into our That's party here. He smells. He needs to go to the bath. Good, good boy. <laughs> you work with some of the biggest brands out there, obviously, yeah. especially here locally, but also, also nationally. Yep. yep. What's something that some of these business owners could do to better their marketing, better their branding, better their advertising? How do they reach you? You know, it's funny. I had a call today with a guy who's, uh, he's got a really great, um, it's like a baseball academy. Big, big baseball academy. They're multi-states. And he was asking me this question about his business. He wanted to know how, you know, best, best practices. What I told him is, first tell me about your business. I want, to, I want you to tell me your story about your business. Tell me about what it is that you guys do so that I can understand it. I got to understand it, right? I got to be in it. Put me in your business. Show me your day-to-day. So he does, he tells me, and I said to him, look, everybody is different, but also the same. So while your business practices and your clientele and the things that you do and how you help people and all that is different and unique, the way you gain clientele is very similar to everybody else. So when we execute a marketing campaign, we're not reinventing the wheel. From a macro perspective. Correct. You just change the, the micro, the small details. Yes, we change the demographics. We change the this, that, and the third. But we're not changing the strategy. We're using a strategy that's proven. It works. We're not taking guesses at this. Like I said before, this is not a guessing game for me. So we're going to sit down. We're going to help you figure out what you need to do, where you need to start. You've got to start at the core basics. Forget about TV. Forget about billboards. That's all the stuff I'm going to help you with. I'm going to help you get there. But when I come into meetings with clients, not every client's ready to just jump on TV. Mm-hmm. And now if I was a bad guy, what would I do? You'd push the TV. I'd say, bro, let's start a commercial. Yeah. Let me get you on TV tomorrow. Let yeah. me hype you up and yeah. get you. They're smoke. not ready for it even. No, dude, you're, you're six months from TV. Mm-hmm. You, need a, you need your website cleaned up. You need to look good online. You need your digital presence strong, right? You need your brand guidelines, your colors to match. You need your logo to look good. You need all this stuff. Then you need some billboards first. Let's get your brand valid. Let's get you equity. Let's mm-hmm. get the name known. Let's, I want people to drive down the road to know who you are before I start pumping out TV commercials and they think about calling you. Because if they see a TV commercial and they don't know your name, they're not going to call you because you're not valid in their mind. But if they know your name and they recognize you and then they see a TV commercial, then they're going to call you, right? Because they trust you. Evan and I talk about it in the coaching uh, world and, and social media. You know, people may see your post but then they're gonna dive deeper. Yes. And dive deeper. Yes. And dive deeper. And, and we call it an eco loop. Absolutely. They're gonna come. And then eventually they become a buyer of your services, but you need to provide enough information, right? I have an ebook. I have millions of episodes. You can go here, who's yep. Ryan? See who I am, watch my mannerisms, feel me out. Yeah. You can see that, right? Yeah. Virtually. Yeah. You don't yeah. have to ever, you can be, be a voyeur. You can yeah. be someone just watching. But eventually, you're going to be a buyer in my system. It's no different when you're selling those fucking billboards or commercials or magazines or articles of anything. You need to have your whole system set up. It's no different. It's the same exact thing. I love it. And so for me, that's that's key, man. Just understanding the client, understanding their needs, 
where it is that they want to go? Like, what's your goal? Like, how do you want to scale? Like, do you want to grow fast? Are you ready for that? Mm -hmm. How's your call center look? We start running a TV campaign or a streaming TV campaign on Hulu. I mean, there's a lot we can do. There's a lot of attribution there. I could bring you a lot of business, but are you ready for that? Can mm -hmm. you handle that? These are questions that have to be answered that a lot of people don't take the time. This is another reason why I left corporate. And again, not a knock on them, but it is what it is. There's yeah, a lot of sell, people sell, just trying move, to sell. Sell, move, sell, I move. tell my clients this, I listen. They say, well, like, I got an agency now, you're hired, okay, great. So what, what kind of stuff? Okay, well for one, every time a salesperson comes to you from radio, from billboards, you give them my number. You tell them I got an agency. They no longer call you, because you know what they want to do? They want to get you alone in the room, and you're gonna tell them your demographic is a, 25 to 54 year old male that lives in, uh, I don't know. Nebraska. Sure, yeah, Nebraska, sure, great, exactly, Nebraska. And, but they work for a rap station that is hip hop and focused in urban cities. They're gonna find a way to convince you yeah, that manipulate. you should buy their rap station. They'll manipulate the data. No matter which way they gotta do it. Yeah. My job is to protect you from that. I protect you from all those people that are out there and I find you the right solutions, the right people who make the right sense for your business. Yeah. I find you the right station, the right TV station, the right billboard, and we buy that because I'm helping you guide your business to the way that it needs to be to be successful. Uh, uh, dude, you, it makes sense to me. So how do people get in touch? They, you can find me on Instagram, 43oak. 43 Oak Advertising, our website, 43oak.com. And we're going to share all your links pretty easy after name. this. Yeah. Um, but that's, you know, I'm a pretty accessible guy, I think, still. So rounding this out, what I like to do is ask a couple questions. Yeah. First question is, if you could tell a young entrepreneur that grew up like you or is a spoiled kid that wants to just create his own life, his own legacy, and part from what was maybe given to him, What's the one thing that you would leave them with tonight? Could be a saying, it could be a, a quote. Take a chance on yourself. That's what I just told this kid that I just hired. He's gonna start working for me in a week or two. I spoke at a college. He calls me six months later, he goes, hey, uh, listen, I would have called you the day after the speech. I was so moved, but I didn't want you to think that I was just you know, one of the other, this kid stood out to me in so many different ways, but he's just so smart at the way he came to me. And he said, one thing you said to me is, you don't have a family, you don't have kids yet, you don't have that many responsibilities. Don't go for the gusto and look for some big salary. Look for the job opportunity that makes sense for you and take a chance on yourself. He goes, and you know what? I'm ready to take a chance on myself. So whatever you want to give me to start working for you, I'm ready to do it. And I don't care how long it takes because I know that working for you is going to mean success for me. It's, so take you, that golden ticket. You got to take the risk. I think too many kids coming out of school and all that are, are so focused on the number that they're going to get paid. And you Well, know they what? also come out in the hole of a debt. Look, man, I've been homeless in my life, dude. You know what I'm saying? I lived in my car for a year. It wasn't because I was a bum. It wasn't because I works, wasn't working hard. You want to talk about working hard? I was going out... I was buying tickets to Yankees game to take clients out. I didn't even have a, a, a home to live in. I was out till 11 o'clock at night doing dinners, sleeping on the Jersey Turnpike. Playing the game. Waking up at 6 a.m., shaving in the Sunoco station, hopping over to Retro Fitness, showering, throwing my suit on and going to meetings for the day. I took that chance. I, 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 I risked everything I had because I could at that time. Yep. And I knew, Sean, take a chance on yourself. It's going to work out. Yep. Do it. Yep. 
So I, that's my advice. Take the chance, man. Dude, I, I, even I again, I, I fully understand all that. And I think a lot of times people are, are risk adverse mm. because of their parents. For sure. Right? You know, yeah. it's go to work, yeah. get a 401k, yeah. get your health benefits. You're crazy for wanting to do that. Yeah. Yeah. There's a lot of uh, determinant from, from parents. And again, I don't fault the parents. They want their kid to just be able to uh, the, you know, have the American dream, afford a home, have health insurance. Okay, there's nothing you know, wrong with that. I you grow it. up with a white picket fence, and there's it's nothing risky. wrong with it. It's it, it is risky, and not everybody is meant to do it. That's but if true, you true. feel like you got the drive, and you got the want, and you got the desire, go for it. Last question. Yeah. You know, give a shout out. It, it could be people in the digital space. It could be nationally, locally near you, here, whatever. You want to give a business owner or two some love. Give it to them. Um, you know what? I just want to shout out uh, all the great people that um, that have helped me along the way. I think, you know what? I'm so glad you just said that. Uh, there's something I've been talking about a lot recently. I said this at my golf outing. <clears throat> I was sitting in front of 120 people that I wanted to thank, and I didn't know how to thank them properly. I, I didn't know what to say, and that's very rare that I don't know what to say, but I didn't. And then it hit me when I was standing there. What I said was, A lot of times you hear people talk about, <clears throat> I did this, I did that. I came from nothing and I kind of did it today. So I'm glad that I'm getting the opportunity to say this. The truth is, is that any of us that have made it in life. Yeah, we had help. We had help. We had somebody that put their hand out and said, come on, let's go. And so Even for if me- it was only one person. Listen, for me, it was my mother, my father, my stepfather, Brian Rabinowitz, Bob McEwen. I, I, I'm sorry, I'm probably the rabbi. definitely forget the rabbi. I'm forgetting people. My wife, my family. Listen, there were people. You know what I'm saying? My, my father, I talked to him every day, three hours a day. There's people, right? But who I want to shout out is everybody out there that's working hard to provide for their families. I respect you and putting that work into build businesses. My clients, guys like Jamie D, Clean Bro, Pond Lee Hockey, all those guys that are, you know, Derek. I mean, just such great people. I've um, seen Derek's new billboards looking good. His billboards look great. I mean, and uh, you know, and, and, and just uh, all the people who are out there to help other people, it's great. Even in my foundation, I now have kids that are graduating from the program that are coming to intern for me to help younger kids come up because they want to, not because yeah. I asked them to. Because you know? they had the help. And so we got to remember in life that we don't do it on our own. This doesn't happen by itself. You got to ask for help. You got to step up and say, listen, man, I need help. Mm -hmm. Can you help me? And it's the same thing as the pizza guy throwing the paper in my face. Somebody might say no. Yeah. But that's okay. You asked. Yep. Move to the next guy because yeah. the next guy might actually help you. Yeah. And, and, and for guys and like those us. Those are your wins. And guys like us need to turn around and help those guys. <sighs> You can't just keep focused on where I'm going, where I'm going, where I'm going. That's awesome. And you can focus on where you're going while at the same time slowing down for one day or one week or one month or one year and turning around and helping that next person. And that will make you more money than you ever desired if you just stayed fixated on a selfish goal. Yep. I know for a fact that I don't think that I would have been to where I'm gonna to get to by the age I'm 40 mm -hmm. of what I want out of my life, which is just lifestyle for my family. I talk about having a house in the mountains. I think kids should get in the woods. 
play in the mountains, Definitely. play with guns, Definitely. play with quads, Definitely. like play with nature, wherever it is, get in nature. And I'll have that for my family because I helped others. Absolutely. And that's a win-win. Yep. Dude, I appreciate you having here, having you here. I know for a fact that we're gonna win together. We're gonna help a lot of fucking people together. This podcast is gonna move people. Who knows what will come of it? Uh, I'll tell you one other thing, if, if you don't mind. Go ahead. Before we wrap it up. I wanna shout one other person out. Shout them. On the opposite side of what we just talked about, shout out to the people who believed in me and took a chance on me. And if somebody's watching this that's in a different position, maybe not somebody who's looking to get up, but it's already up at the top. Because mm -hmm. I know you got people watching this that are there too. Yep. Maybe take a deeper look at some of the people that are asking you for help. Yeah, or maybe, asking for business. Yeah, maybe be a little philanthropic yourself and reconsider and give that person a chance. If it's not gonna hurt you too bad, give them an opportunity. Even if it's just a phone call, man. I was desperate for a 10 minute phone call with people who I knew could help me. Mm -hmm. Give them that 10 minutes to believe in themselves because you have no idea how far that advice and that help goes. That's so that's another shout out. I'm sorry, I just yeah. wanted to say that no. before we wrap. But no, yeah, I man. love your passion, man. It was great. Yeah, Cheers. Dude. Awesome. Slancha. Yeah, slancha. Good shit. <laughs>